Have you ever looked at someone thriving in their business and wondered, how did they do it? Have you ever thought that you can't have mental health and success? Have you doubted your own ability to create a financially thriving career that still has your well-being at the forefront? Well, welcome to the Boardroom Brain Podcast, where we tackle those very questions. I'm Dr. Lauren Cook, and I'm a clinical psychologist and speaker that takes you behind the business and inside the minds of today's most successful and personally thriving leaders. We're taking a look at our guests' secrets to success, how they bounce back when they've been knocked down, and what advice they have for you. Oh, and I've got another motive too. As a clinician and company consultant who frequently sees employees struggling mentally and knocking on the door of burnout, I'm invested in having conversations about how we can bring more wellness into company culture. I want to make sure that everyone has the absolute best work experience that we all can have, and I believe that includes making sure our businesses are invested in their employees as people, not just as time card stampers and payroll lists. So get excited to listen, learn, and leverage your own leadership skills. These conversations will help you tap into your own bravery while helping you reprioritize your sense of well-being, both at work and when you're off the clock. So step inside the conference room with me and welcome to the boardroom. Your brain is about to get a major bonus. Hello, everyone. Welcome so much to today's episode of the Boardroom Brain Podcast. I have an incredible guest with me here today. Let me tell you all about Brian Waddell. So Brian serves as head of influencer gaming and esports for Nestle USA's Center for Marketing Excellence. He definitely services household name CPG brands across the global brands portfolio, including Stouffer's, DiGiorno Pizza, Hot Pockets, and others. He also lends his industry expertise to Nestle USA's company-wide innovation directives. Through his challenger mindset, Brian has made his mark through the development of meaningful experiences for brands to connect and engage with their stakeholders. Over the last 10 plus years, he has focused on getting brands excited about bridging digital and physical worlds through uniquely integrated creative influencer, gaming, experiential, and partnership programs across North America. Brian, welcome to the show today. Thank you for having me. Oh, I love that you're joining us. And, you know, okay, I love how you describe in your bio this idea of a challenger mindset. Tell us what that means to you. Yeah, so um, it can mean a lot of things, truthfully. Um, and I have been an individual often who will question why. Uh, my children have gained that in their genetic marker and makeup, um, much to my chagrin. Um, but a lot of that just comes to meaning, are we doing the right things for the right reasons, right? And so when I was brought into the team at Nestle USA, coming from um, the startup scene and a small agency and also professional services prior to that, um, was asked to do that, right? Be critical about what has already existed, right? Nestle is the world's largest CPG company um, here in North America, has six different operating companies within the United States. So a lot of processes, right, that have existed for many decades, uh, often without question, right? Because if it ain't broke, right, don't fix it. But when it comes to evolving marketing strategies, playbooks, the expectations of today's consumers and even some of our retail customers, uh, are we making the right decisions? And so that challenger mindset often is one where, depending on the appetite of your organization, right, can be viewed as net positive or net disruptive. Mm. But ultimately, right, the goal to aspire to was, was just net, net positive growth. How are we making those changes where we can feel that impact not only for today, but better position ourselves for tomorrow? And so that's much of what my role is, regardless of the stakeholder, if it's 
a cross-function team member, maybe from another form of media, right? Or even a brand stakeholder that works on the communication side, product or innovation. How are we challenging that thought structure to make sure it is the right decision? Mm, so well said. And I love that Nestle really appreciates that challenger mindset because it's so true what you're speaking of. Does a company see it as a net positive and net negative? And it's great that you're at a space that really appreciates that mindset, that they're open to that. I'm curious, you know, for people listening in, you are at such a huge, huge company. Now I'm wanting some Hot Pockets, quite frankly, even though it's only eight in the morning, maybe some breakfast Hot Pockets. There you go. <laughs> Tell everybody kind of what you do day to day. What does uh, life in the day of Brian Waddell look like for you? Uh, it's chaotic, right? So Nestle USA is Nestle's largest operating company. Uh, we have 34 brands across seven different divisions, many just endemic CPG grocery brands that you might have from Coffee Mate to Stouffer's and Hot Pockets, all the way to some emerging coffee brands like Chameleon that are very regionalized or even Blue Bottle if, for those in California um, that many have not heard of, right? And all have questions about the different states of marketing they're in, what the objectives are, maybe nuances in terms of a customer relationship, a D2C or e-com effort. So my job is to come in and understand understand what the ask is, what the business needs, and ultimately how we develop strategies against that, that are then either activated or implemented by our internal teams and structures, agencies, or even vendors and suppliers. Um, so I could start my morning talking about Hot Pockets and a great breakfast innovation that might be coming to the category in a year, uh, working with the DiGiorno Pizza team to talk about an influencer snafu that may have happened or one of our customers that wants to leverage a celebrity mm -hmm. to communicate a new product. And then I'm talking coffee creamers in the afternoon. Um, so no day is kind of one in the same, and it's very much um, an entrepreneurial mindset you have to have because mm. it's part being a corporate employee, but also, you know, the best parts and brightest parts of maybe the agency life, right? Of having to do problem solving, account coordination, relationship management. Uh, so I never have the same day twice. Uh, and like to think I'm uniquely built for that, like a couple other of my colleagues here. Um, but it definitely keeps things interesting. And I think one of the cool things about this company is that appetite, right? To bring individuals like myself in that 10 years ago may not have been a fit uh, in order to help with that problem solving. Mm, so well said. And I love that you speak to that entrepreneurial mindset. I identify as an entrepreneur myself. And, you know, I think part of the problem sometimes is people get this all or nothing thinking, right? Where they think I either have to be an entrepreneur out on my own or I need to join the corporate space. The fact that you're able to have both those tenants where you get that creativity, that novelty that you'd see with an entrepreneurial path in that corporate space is really cool. And I hope that gives people new ideas of what it can look like, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, okay. I always do a little bit of LinkedIn stalking with our guests and you describe yourself as a risk taker. I really like that. And I want to bring that to light for our, our listeners today. What does that risk taking look like for you? And what advice do you have for somebody who may be pretty risk averse in the work that they do? Yeah. So we talk about risk forward and risk adverse a lot. I would say, as I talk about risk taking, right, it's calculated. Mm. Part of it is two-prong, um, or really the whole thing of it's two-prong, is one, understanding the appetite for risk by the individual or team that you're working with. Mm -hmm. And second, making sure you're fostering an environment where it's okay to fail. And that's a big part to really like a foundational mindset shift I had you know, maybe about seven years ago um, with understanding that failure wasn't a bad thing because it's an additive mechanism, right, in, in your growth and development. 
Mm -hmm. And so for many teams, right, especially on this side of the world, CPG focused, where, you know, there's many stages in the business, but ultimately you're trying to get to the end user, the consumer, the fan, the audience, whatever terminology you want to use, Mm -hmm. you have to be so sharp in the decisions you make to get to that path, because the grade of the path, the, the steepness of it, the challenges you might face often come with aggravations. And for many big organizations and corporations, aggravations mean budget, it means money, it means resources, it means people. And so when you start talking risk, you know, the old mindset tells you that feels a lot of aggregation or it feels like it's gonna be um, a real drain on my team. Mm. But my job is to take that risk, right? To take the impetus, to take the responsibility, to be the person who is ultimately, point your fingers at me. If something goes wrong, let me be the one to talk about it. Let me be the one to help the team understand and grow from it so we can prop each other up to make sure everybody's in their best position to score, kind of grow from these moments. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That appetite for risk, right, is not something that happens easily. It's not something where like, it's just a switch one day where somebody you're working with says, hey, I want to jump into the deep end, even though I don't know how to swim. That, that never happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but what is important is understanding the steps that other teams maybe have taken or other experiences you've had in life and be able to apply those critically to where you are now, right? So it's nice at Nestle because we all, all our products are roughly in the same space, right? They're in grocery stores, whether they're physical locations or, or online e-com shelves. Um, so to be able to have those like, you know, well, Stouffer's might've done this or, hey, we saw one of the competitors do this. Here's why that worked, right? Here's the purpose behind that mechanism. What can we borrow from that? What can we reverse engineer to maybe think about how we can apply that to a future project that conversation is risk, right? That openness about being critical and suggesting it in an environment with other individuals is very much viewed as risk, right? Because it's not the way we should be thinking. Um, and it takes time to, to develop that muscle. But one that I've seen in my career growth is probably the most important to really kind of making those steps in terms of where you want to go for your own growth. I couldn't agree more. I think it's really important to have a healthy appetite for risk. And what I hear in what you're saying as well is that there's an element of curiosity. There's this sense of openness, even to like, yeah, what are the competitors doing that's working well for them? How can we integrate that same curiosity and creativity in our work? I think it's all tied into risk-taking. Absolutely. There's, you know, I know we talked, just culture has talked a lot about antique expressions, right? And kind of changing things. And I know that some corporate environments will say like, well, there's no such thing as a dumb question, right? But even then you're putting a word into the environment that has a negative sentiment, right? Mm-hmm. We try to say there's no wrong question, right? There's nothing you can ask that's necessarily wrong. You're just understanding or your expertise or your comfort with something that was said before that or something you read just isn't there. Mm-hmm. So the question you have about it isn't right or wrong. It's for you to become a more enabled stakeholder or feel like you're, you're, you're more of a part of the journey we're all taking together. Mm-hmm. That approach then allows others to be more open because they feel like they're a part of the team versus, you know, the fears we had when we were children or, or young teens sitting in class where we read the text, the teacher said it one way. Or we, exactly. We were afraid to raise our hand. You can't have that in life. You can't have that as a professional anymore. So you have to think about what gives that individual confidence to ask the question, even though they might isolate themselves or put the spotlight on them, but make them feel like it's exactly like this, right? It's a conversation. It's not a case that they're being viewed or graded by what they just said. I think that's going to be so helpful for people listening and watching this conversation. So Brian, another part of your job that I'm really curious to hear about, you work in esports with gaming, you tie that in with marketing. Tell people about that because 
what a fun way I imagine to maybe incorporate work and play at the same time. So tell us about that. Absolutely. And it's probably the part of my LinkedIn profile or my job description that gets the most punishment, right? The most opportunity because they see Nestle plus gaming and it's a category that's been on fire since the start of the pandemic. Um, but it's truthfully maybe about 10% of my job. Um, there's only three out of the 34 brands we have that have a right to play in that space. Uh, it's truthfully being a brand that serves the gaming consumer and is a ubiquitous part of their lifestyle, their environment, um, has had activations or a presence in that space in the last 10 years for us to grow and develop. But what it does help me do more broadly is talking about emerging areas, right, in which businesses, brands, individuals should be paying attention to as an opportunity. It's probably also the part that I'm most critical about. If you do follow me on LinkedIn or you kind of have heard me talk elsewhere, um, I'm very open about how I feel about the web three space, the, the focus on gaming, how many brands are being predatory. We're seeing more and more ads enter the framework, um, both in online environments and localized environments that impacts not only young adults, older adults, but also children, right? Yeah. And what their exposure is to things and kind of removing the, the beauty of what play and connected communities are by giving them these branded tailored experiences that are very much focused on the brand and less about adding value to the end consumer, or adding value to the end user and really enriching their experience. Mm -hmm. So I have a tendency to go off the deep end on that stuff, but I'd like to think it's for the right reasons because I myself at, you know, 38 years old, I've had a video game controller in my hand for the last 33 years. Mm. And so it's a space I'm very comfortable with. It's an area and I occupy when the kids go to bed and, you know, I need an hour to unplug. I'm doing it with other dads, with other parents online, right? That very much share the same norms and interests and affinities that I do mm -hmm. in a way that not only makes me feel like, okay, I'm recharging or resetting my batteries, but allows me to hear from people that aren't me, right? To remove my biases and decision-making mm -hmm. than in my own job, right? Or to hear things a little bit differently or you know, I might drop something in conversation to try to pry, write some reaction or understanding out of it yeah. that can maybe help reframe my thinking. Um, that's the fun part about games. And I think why, you know, you go back to cave paintings or even hieroglyphics and you see us as humans have always had gaming, right? Or those types of experiences built into our cultures, right? Built into our histories. And so as that space has evolved, yes, it's something we 100% need to pay attention to. I say, you know, a lot of organizations that aren't focused on this space likely have a junior employee somewhere that plays games and is deep on Reddit threads or kind of understands the conversation around Fortnite, right, on Twitter and what's happening in that space that give them five to 10 minutes, hear about it and learn about it. Um, famously had a conversation with one of our executives who his mindset around gaming was his young nephew who lived in his sister's basement, was a recent college grad and was having trouble getting a job. And by the end of us going through the strategy that we had enveloped and talked about where the brand could go in the next five years and thinking about how it aligned to their older consumer target, he now thinks of gamers as being his mother, who's 70 years old and plays on mobile devices and uses it as a way to stimulate brain activity, but also have some commonality with her grandchildren by playing words with friends or other connected games. Yes. That's the exciting part about my job. That's the fun part of watching people go from where they thought they knew things were around the space to where it's headed and where it's ultimately going. Mm, exactly. Exactly. Well, it really can be such a community builder, you know, and I love your testament to that of 
how it connects you with other dads, you know, and, and how you live this shared experience. I, I hear from my husband sometimes who plays video games too. They're talking about how their days went, you know, while they're playing the game. And so it, it really is an opportunity to build community. And I love that you tie in the nuance too, that it's not just all good. Like there are components of it that we have to be aware of too. And I love your mindfulness in that. I think that's really wonderful. Yeah, it's only escalated as I've become a parent, right? So like the things that you, that I maybe thought about gaming seven years ago, eight years ago are vastly different than where they are today, right? And even the titles I play in the home are kind of waiting till the kids go to bed or even their own exposure and what they're allowed to do. Um, you know, there isn't a lot of tablet time in our house. There isn't a lot of time on consoles yet because I know that their dexterity, their understanding and that ability for them to be exposed to something that mentally they're not there yet. Well, it's the same thing, right? As we think about, again, those preconceived notions and other elements, you have to think about it full circle. Otherwise you're doing yourself a major disservice. I agree. I agree. Yeah. There's, there's such nuance in it. It's not a one size fits all approach, certainly. And I want to pull us back a little bit and kind of take a bird's eye view, look at your career, because you've had a lot of great experiences. Brian, what, what surprises you when you look back on your whole career journey thus far, what surprises you? Um, how unique it's been compared to a lot of my colleagues. Um, often I have been an individual where I have to explain what my job is. And even my wife will have somebody ask, like, what's your husband doing now? Like, that sounds so cool. And she needs help framing that because it, it changes dynamically. Um, you know, starting so long ago, print design and things that we see behind us and just this love for visual culture that then turned into you know, working on what Victoria's Secret's flagship store in New York City was going to look like or the next evolution of Dave and Buster's restaurants to now talking about, you know, brands that occupy shelves, whether they be frozen, chilled or even ambient, right? What you see in the grocery aisles and thinking about how the mobile device can change that experience or how creators can come in to amplify awareness that we're on a product launch. It's been so all over the place, but I think it's all been rooted in how we as people experience things right? And how we can see ourselves and other things or kind of go to the things that we love most and bring them back into this intimacy that is our lives. Um, that's always been the North Star for me. And I've always tried to have a job where like, I'm vested in it. I'm interested in it genuinely and kind of feel my comfort to teach, to grow, to, to drive results um, that I know many people often struggle with, right? And kind of truthfully finding that in their own career paths. I have many friends, right? Who are now coming up on 40 and they're like, I think I hate my career. Like, and it's because of always being, they've maybe been a little bit more um, transactional about their decision-making, right? But versus truthfully being um, more objective based, or as I like to look at like the intrinsic motivators I have to get me out of bed every day and think about how am I going to make a difference for myself? How am I going to grow? How am I going to impact others? How can I still feel like, even though the drag of work, right? Or the requirement of the day might be heavy, is it still something I can, I can see myself doing? I think that's what's allowed me to kind of run towards the things I want to do versus others who maybe just fall into what they were taught or even have been you know, um, experienced, right? What they feel like they need to do. Mm -hmm. Some call it a calling, some call it a career. And I think it's, it's, it's a really a toss of a coin, whether it's heads or tails for them in their decision-making. Um, but that's enabled me to kind of be where I'm at today is just always keeping my hands on the wheel Mm. saying does this motivate me right is this is this adding value to me myself 
um, and doing my still the ability to, to add value to others. And that's, it's really kind of how I've gotten to where I've been. Mm, incredible. I'm hearing there's such intentionality in your path. And again, I feel like a theme for today is just the sense of creativity and openness. I'm hearing you haven't put yourself in a box of like, this is the next predictable step. You have always, it sounds like, been thinking outside of the box. And it sounds like that's led to some really great rewards with your career. And it's, don't get me wrong, too, it hasn't been easy, right? <laughs> My father, God rest his soul, um, when he heard that I was going from prep school to art school, right, famously said to me, was like, you're not going to be some starving artist in New York, right? You're not going to have that life. You have to do better than than we did, than what your mother had, what I had, what your grandfather had as an immigrant, Um and you have to build on top of that. And so I think that question of like, well, I know I want to, I want to do what I want to do, right? I want to do something that's creative. I want to do something that allows me to have expression and outlet and, and agency right on my life. But at the same time, there's the American dream. There's the, the cultural norms and the cultural things that we have to abide by. Maybe that was set by the generations before us and blending and blurring, blurring those lines can be difficult, right? I have individuals that I'm super close with that have the same careers their parents had, that their grandparents had, and their grandparents grandparents before them, right? Yeah. And it's sometimes tough to break away from that and saying like, no, it's okay. Like there's going to be some risk there. Um, there's a lot you have to do personally to ascribe by that, right? There, It wasn't easy. There was a time in my career in life where, you know, I was making $11 an hour where friends of mine had careers that were paying them forty five, fifty thousand dollars $50,000, right before 2010. And that was a lot of money when you were in your twenties. Right. And so, especially in the Midwest, right. Not so much on the coast, but in the Midwest, you were living like a King or a queen. Um, but I was still doing the things I like to do. Yeah. I was still doing the things that mattered to me at least, right. Or made me feel like I was getting up for the right reasons. I just didn't know that it was called intrinsic motivation at the time because I hadn't gone into the psychology behind it or, you know, made that investment in myself to go to graduate school, to learn how to be more critical and apply my thoughts in a way that's, you know, well articulated and these types of things. So it's, it's definitely um, been interesting, but I think, you know, like you even said, you picked up on it, talking about creativity. That's part of it, right? Ideas and things that just manifest differently than maybe a stroke of a pen to a piece of paper or even a paintbrush, right? To a canvas, 20 year old me would have been like, you're nuts. That I would never have the job I have now, almost 40 that I do. But as you look back, it all makes sense how it got to where it happened and the decisions I made that said, go right instead of left. Yeah. Got me to where I was and life could be very different, right? Who knows? I could have been an artist in New York and doing those types of things if I would have followed that. And there's no fault to those that do, but that's what their motivator was, right? My motivator when I was young was my father's voice in my head, right? Trying to still make him feel proud about the investment he made in me to go to college and be, you know, the first one to do it, but also not steering away from the stuff that I loved. And that's a really hard thing. I know that a lot of people struggle in that balance and finding it can break some others. They have their reawakening, right? Or their rebirth and, and kind of jump into new areas, but um, it, it's definitely a journey. Oof, I feel like we could go into an hour conversation just just on that topic alone. Uh, I think that's going to really bring up a lot for people listening to that about their own personal journeys with that. And I mean, it sounds like this has impacted your mental health in a positive way, you know, following your values, making intentional decisions that align with what you want to do. And, you know, I'm a clinical psychologist. We do talk about psychology and mental health a bit on this podcast. 
And, you know, something I'm really passionate about is making sure our companies are creating wellness in the workplace. I'm curious if you can comment on your experience at Nestle and, and how you see that company that you're with supporting the mental health of, of the employees that work there. Yeah, I mean, I can't go deep into it, right? But there's definitely been changes and resources that are readily available. And I think we've seen this broadly across corporate America in the work from home environment, right? When it started in March, 2022, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, we'll see in two weeks, right? right? Then it was Thanksgiving and everyone was like, okay, we got to kind of figure out what this is doing here, right? Or, or, or what this hybrid work environment looks like, or are we going full remote? And what does that mean for livelihood? And, you know, talking to individuals that maybe didn't have the space like I did in my basement to create an office and they were working from their kitchen table yeah. up until last 4th of July. And it's like, if you should probably think about, right, a better work environment. Mental health is very important. And by no means do I want it to make it sound like this journey has been easy or like every day I wake up, I'm, I'm whistling like the, you know, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs and we're going to work and, and all this stuff. Like there's days where I struggle. My wife identifies that or she'll see it. And what she immediately says to me is like, it sounds like you were doing a bunch of stuff you didn't want to do today, right? Or the stuff that you felt like didn't matter or there was complications or aggravations because I had trouble explaining things to individuals in the work from home environment, having children, having family, having pets, right? That's an escape, right? A chance to lose yourself. Um, now in the Midwest, it's kind of hard to go outside and get that California sunshine or the sunshine in Colorado, right? There's snow, there's wind, there's all these things where like, yeah, I've been, I've been trapped in the house for seven, eight days, mm. many struggles, right? But having leaders um, understand that or at least be more empathetic to that, mm-hmm. right? is very different in 2022 than it was even two years ago. Right. And, and individuals trying to understand, um, I think a lot goes into the growth and understanding around emotional intelligence and it not being a weakness. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like, fortunately, I took some time and invested myself early on and understanding what emotional intelligence meant as I started to become an executive at private companies and, and looking at that, because you don't know the story of the individual across from you or everything that added up to that day and that moment in which they're talking to you. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to be cognizant of that. You have to be a listener before you are a teller or a doer. Um, and you're going to encounter people in life that don't think that way, right? And it's that, that don't care about your experiences. I remember the first day I walked into Nestle, I might be covered now, but I'm head to toe in tattoos. And I was entering corporate America that did not look that way. Mm. And I felt like I needed to shelter and collapse and kind of go into the norms to just find that comfort in order to establish my ground and footing to then figure out where I could go. And over time, right, you would expect everybody to fall in line, be a part of the system, be a part of how everything else is going. Mm-hmm. A few key executives, right, a few leadership members at, at my organization uh, have been courageous enough to tell me like, hey, we need you to not be us. We need you to be the example to make others comfortable, right? Those types of things where now you see individuals like myself who have t-shirts or short sleeves on men and women, both showing their tattoos on calls with, with key yeah. leaders or people outside the organization or just showing themselves or children appearing mm-hmm. on camera yeah. and not feeling uh, ashamed about it. Right. Or others going, others going like, Hey, I wish that was my kid right now. Right. She's at school. I've watched her grow. She's not home during the day anymore. I miss that. So please like, what's your name, sweetheart? Like those types of moments, yeah. those didn't exist three years ago, right? You might've had a chance to go with another family to a ball game or a park on a Saturday and time away from the office. But those things that like humanize us, right? And connect us, even though it's remediated, right? Yeah. That matters. And all those add to positive mental health. So I think it is that 
being an example, right. Or being an advocate, um, for that, um, matters, right. And understanding that that matters, right. There's certain groups where you can be intentional around that work around passing the microphone in situations, individuals who maybe haven't had a chance to communicate or you know, somebody that's in a marginalized community, right. I'll be the first one to wear the Nestle rainbow t-shirt. I have a beautiful hoodie from one of our suppliers that has this technicolor rainbow thing on. Ask me about it. Let me talk about how I feel about those individuals being in the workplace and us needing to support them. Like that's yeah. the conversations that need to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, that I, that I hope to God, right. Is the thing that sticks mm-hmm. in terms of all this mental health awareness, understanding those around you and their sensibilities and wanting to prop things up and the net negativity we see in the media mainstream. You have an opportunity every day to impact somebody by just being intentional mm-hmm. with your decision-making or the actions you take that, that's got to stick as we start going back to the office, whether it is one day a week, three days a week, five days a week, et cetera. So I'm hopeful, right. That that happens. And that some of the stuff that the younger generation has been screaming about starts to permeate the older generation. And they're thinking even more. Woo, I'm inspired. Let's go. <laughs> so let's many, go. I know. Let's go. Let's go. I, you know, it's so important that we just show up authentically as we are. And that you as a leader, that's such powerful modeling. I say show the tattoos. That's why I, you know, I love wearing bright colors, right? And we can so easily mute ourselves because that's what we're supposed to do. But I think it's so important to just beat to our own drums. And it doesn't mean that we're not respectful of others, how they want to live their lives. But let's make room for everybody, right? To just show up as their true self. So I love that you speak to that. Yeah. One thing I want to ask you about too, I've got just a few questions for you as we get ready to wrap up here. But we always ask our guests, you know, what they do day to day for their own personal wellness efforts, because you manage a lot, you do a lot. How do you still make time for your own wellness, Brian? I close the door. So I didn't understand that when I heard it the first time from what was the first real executive I had a chance to work with on a personal basis, maybe like 13, 14 years ago. He always said when he closed the door, right? He was very intentional about that when he left the office because that meant his day was done. Now when like the last two jobs I've had, I've had an open work environment, right? Cubicles, standing desks, modular desks, however you want to phrase it. Mm-hmm. less of a reliance on the office, right? Less of a reliance on that structure. You didn't have that opportunity. The door you would close would maybe be the revolving door you left, your car door. But there wasn't, I didn't realize at the time there wasn't intentionality behind those actions and states and what that meant for transitioning from, you know, work Brian to dad, mm-hmm. husband, son, brother, right? Or what I needed to be from 5 p.m. on or on Saturday or on Sunday. Here in work from home, right? I'm Clear. I love the hybrid environment. I think there's there's companies that are going to excel beyond this. Those that go to full remote, everybody's going to figure out what works best for them. Mm-hmm. Once they realize that them is company plus those that work for us, right? Our full com- our full work community. What can we do the best to get out of that? Mm-hmm. But that intentionality of closing the door, of understanding, like when I'm done, the laptop comes down. I shutter the door that's right here. The kids' play space is over there. So even if we come back downstairs, I don't see what's happening here. Mm-hmm. That intentionality has allowed me to really kind of separate those two and help with that headspace a little bit and kind of migrating against that. It's also being clear and transparent with my family of like when enough is too too much, right? Yeah. When I realize I'm overstimulated and you have a screaming three-year-old and, and just the dogs and dinner, right? You got to take time to back away. Um, I think 
finding your physical activity matters, right? It took me for a long time to realize my love for cycling as a child needs to come back and mountain biking and those things, right? So finding ways to do that more often, having the stationary bike now down here where I could just jump onto when I need to, or the mountain bike upstairs to just ride through the neighborhood. Like that's been really helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, But that first action, that first step, that closing the door and understanding what that means for you mentally is so important. Um, Everybody hates the personal examples, but we're gaming last night and I have a junior level employee that works for another part of the company that we play with every once in a while. He was like, Hey, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta stop. Like the, one of the VPs just emailed me and I feel like I gotta get him the answer. And I was like, he's not expecting you to answer right now. He's expecting you to answer it tomorrow. So don't forget you need to do that, but also don't separate yourself from where you're at right now, because there's no difference in you answering at 1130 beyond tomorrow morning to that individual it matters to you. Right. So like here, all of that, he would have not heard that mm-hmm. elsewhere from other individuals. Right. So like, that's all of that intentionality. I think that matters, but also for him, right. Learning how to close that door to separate you know, PM version of himself versus the AM version of the workday version of himself is really what matters in making those those changes. Oh, that's powerful, especially when he's hearing from someone in your position to help him give permission to himself of, hey, you don't need to do this. You know what I mean? That modeling is really, really powerful. Yeah, uh, we've got some conversations there, right? For people to hold those boundaries because we condition people, you know, the way we respond and how fast we respond, people get conditioned to that. And then they start to expect that of us, you know? And so really putting in place some boundaries, even for people who are entry level, just starting out and feel like they have to drop everything, you know, it's okay. Or how to they project that expectation. Yeah. Like that was a big thing for me for a long time where you start to think how other people think, mm-hmm. you presume how other people are thinking about you mm-hmm. when the truth is they're not. Right. And like everybody has those moments in their career where like they stay late, they work on the document, they work on the presentation for it ultimately to be moved, to be canceled. Right. Or your, your 10 minute window got cut down to two. Yeah. Because, you know, Gary and Susan were talking about their kids for the first 15 minutes of the meeting and your window got closed, but think about everything you put into it before that. Right. Mm-hmm. That whole like just expectation that some individuals have is the hardest thing to break. Yeah. And we're like, again, like in symphony, as we start to tell each other about our own experiences or like, Hey, don't do that. It's not as important as you think it is, even though you feel like it is, trust me, it's not that that shortens the path for them to find their voice, to be courageous, to start to have some agency on themselves, their careers in a way that they might not have gotten to until their forties or even their fifties. And you look back for decades of just like, if I'd only known then what I had known now, okay, we'll start telling people, start sharing <laughs> that so we can learn from it. And then when we do it, back us up, yeah. support us, right? Especially if it's something that might be viewed as controversial by the, by the peer group, especially mm-hmm. your own older peer group, right? Like that, that, all that matters. And I think that's where, again, my hope in all this, right? that behavior change starts and we can all start to speak that language together. So it now carries forward into new normal 2.0 hybrid working, whatever buzz phrase you want to use mm-hmm. to fundamentally change, regardless of the size of the organization, that behavior that, that existed before all this started is gone. We don't, we don't even talk or think about that three years from now. Mm-hmm. 
I, I wish we had more time to have you on today because I think this is just going to bring up so much for people listening to this. But the last question I want to ask you, and we ask this with all of our guests, so no pressure, Brian, but what do you hope your legacy will be? Um, that's a heavy question. Um, you want it, you can have the Mr. Rogers answer, right? Where he was famously asked 30 years on television, do you ever think about that impact? And he says that, that as long as there was one, yeah. right? As long as there was one meaningful experience that was there where you changed the life or you impact that individual, the rest of it's just cherry on like just just icing on the cake, right? Because you can build back from that behavior. I think we as a society have a tendency to forget about legacy, right? There's this whole bigger conversation that's happening around the expectation around grief, not just death or divorce or breakups, but like job changes or moving from one home to the other or having people in your institution or in your community move away. Like we don't as a community nurture that anymore. Yeah. So all you can hope is your legacy, right? Is that it's lasting. It's easy with kids because they are, right? Um, they are the avatars of you, right? They kind of live and breathe and build from your behavior that you do set forward from them. So that's like root one. But you hope you have that in other people too, that like, I'm not just talking out my ass, that somebody is listening or kind of kind of hear it and mention it. That used to happen through word of mouth. Now, sometimes it's through screen shares or retweets or quote tweets or, hey, I'm going to regram that, right? Like, that all matters. That's a digital artifact that originated from you. And so when you look back at that, right, five years from now, 10 years from now, how do you feel about that? It's part of the reason why you're like me, where each time you actually log on to Facebook for the first time in three, four months, you're like, where'd all those pictures go? Who deleted all those moments from college or from our, our young 20s because they didn't want that artifact to exist? Because it probably, they felt like didn't matter to who they were today, right? It wasn't a part of their legacy or something that they wanted remembered. Um that's what I think about my own legacy is, is there enough stuff in there that's going to be remembered? Um, and hopefully it's, it's to a degree that you feel happy about at the end of the day. Um, it's so funny to me. I'm sure you're seeing this stuff too with individuals like Mark Cuban or other executives that have been in the limelight that have aged, right. That have gotten older and are talking about things like, I wish I just would have been nicer. God, my career would have been so much different if I was nicer, those types of things. Like that's what's the more to me, at least, right, is the impactful things of legacy that you can distill knowledge, impact, growth, more moments like that, finding more opportunities like that. Well, let this podcast episode be part of the artifact, be part of the footprint that you leave behind. This has been an incredible conversation today. I learned Hit so that much. That subscribe button right there, right? <laughs> like, comment, share, retweet, whatever you yeah. got to do. Exactly, exactly. And we'll be sharing this too on LinkedIn. And I can't wait for people to hear this conversation today. I think it's going to be really meaningful to them. I know it was for me. So I'm so glad we got to have you on the show. And Brian, tell people where they can connect with you and learn more about the work that you're doing. Uh, LinkedIn is best. Um, I believe it'll be linked somewhere around wherever you see this, hopefully. Yep. Uh, otherwise, you know, uh, I'm lucky to have the ability to go to conferences and talk. So we'll be at things like VidCon, ComplexCon, TwitchCon, all coming up um, related to some professional industry stuff, some other community groups like the, the ANA uh, I'm an active member of. So you may have seen some, some talks there or can kind of Google search my name on that platform and see some of the former talks. Uh, but truthfully, LinkedIn is best. And that, that chat line is always open. So please feel free to connect. Perfect. Brian, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. 
thank you so much for tuning in for today's episode of the Boardroom Brain Podcast. Let's cultivate those networking skills starting today. Share this episode with someone who could benefit from listening and leave a comment and review to let me know what you think. Subscribe to get all the latest episodes and don't hesitate to tell me who you'd love to hear on the podcast. Don't forget that you're always welcome to watch the YouTube version of these episodes as well if you'd like to experience this conversation visually. I always welcome your feedback and I hope today's dialogue sparked your own insights. Here's to fostering those healthy brains both in the boardroom and beyond.